most wonderful time of the year, right? Christmas. Is it the most wonderful time of the year? Well, we say, well, sure it is. All the lights, all the uh, excitement, the gift shopping, uh, being around people, the festivities, kids' company that was packed down in here last week, right? I mean, we enjoy the Christmas season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Except sometimes it's not. Have you ever experienced that? And one of the reasons sometimes it's not is because Well, there's a lot of expectation crammed into a small amount of time, especially when it comes to family. Now, as some of you know, my family had the opportunity to go back to the Midwest, to Indiana, to enjoy Thanksgiving. And uh, we were able to get around to both sides of the family. They're about three hours apart, and so we spent time with one side of the family, and then the other side of the family, and it was a beautiful experience. We're not able to get home for Christmas holidays. We're hopefully going to be moving uh, to a new house two days after Christmas. So the, the, the decision was to be able to, hey, we've got to be here and make the whole transition. But it's interesting when you show up for the holidays with family, because It's great to see everybody, and you try to catch up with everyone, and hopefully everybody's there, extended family members and all, and and there's more great-grandkids now that are happening uh, back in our neck of the woods. But there's also sometimes the tension points. Have you ever had the family holidays where there's awkwardness? Maybe I'm not getting along with somebody, or, you know, somebody else is, is a little bit sideways, those kinds of things. Well, it's interesting, this series, The Light of the World, is actually framed up by um, a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley. Some of you may know who he is. And uh, Andy Stanley, um, his dad is Charles Stanley, and I watched Charles Stanley a lot growing up. And uh, Andy gave reference to a very difficult time in his family's side of things and made it for a difficult and challenging, wonderful time of the year. And that is his parents ended up separating when um, they had gotten married. He and his wife got married and had their first kids. Well, Andy's mom and dad, a very sad thing. God has worked through it. But they end up separating. And so he had this terrible feeling come Christmas time because normally you would go to the parents and enjoy Christmas together and they would be there. Well, he ended up having to go and be with his dad. Him and his wife and a child went to be with his dad on Christmas Eve. And then they were going to leave and go to um, his wife's side of the family for Christmas Day. Right? You sort of try to figure this out. How does it all happen? And he had a terrible feeling because there he was with his dad on Christmas Eve in this huge house. His dad by himself. They're there enjoying their time. They unwrap their presents. But then he was going to end up leaving and going to his wife's side of the family, and his dad would be all alone for Christmas. And he was troubled by this, and so he ended up calling one of his uh, best friends by the name of Charlie, and he says, Charlie, what should I do? I, I can't imagine my dad being in this house all by himself on Christmas Day. It's supposed to be the wonderful time of the year, but that wouldn't be wonderful for him at all. What am I going to do? And his wise friend, Charlie, he told him another story. He says, well, Andy, let me tell you this. He says, there was a time uh, in the early years of my marriage when my wife and I got all dressed up. She was looking beautiful and I was looking sharp. We were going to go out and we were going to celebrate our anniversary, our wedding anniversary. And as we were getting ready to head out the door, I got a phone call and I went to answer the phone call and it was my mother. And my mother said, Charles, 
you've got to come over to the house right away because your dad is having another one of his troubled times. And his dad was a World War II vet. To some degree, a World War II hero kind of individual. But as often is the case with veterans, after winning a war overseas, they came back and had to fight some of their own wars and internal battles within. And this would happen often. And so there he was in a moment in his early marriage, Charlie and his wife, Patty, and his mom is saying, you've got to come, you've got to come. And he looks at his wife and he says, Andy, in that moment, I made a very bad strategic decision. I jumped in my car, I raced over to my parents' house and jumped in and tried to solve a 40-year-old problem that could not be solved and in the meantime created another problem in my own house. You got the feel? Has that ever happened to you? You're torn. What do we do? And maybe it's the reason that the holidays sort of, it's sort of this crucible. Things are packed together with these expectations. And you get together and maybe it doesn't quite go so well. There's, uh, there's problems that, that need to be solved. There's, there's, uh, there's people that, that are, are out of control a little bit. There's expectations that, that can't be met. And so we have all this hype and all this energy that, oh, I want this to be the most wonderful, perfect time of the year. And it just doesn't turn out that way. Now, with Andy, he took the advice of his friend, and so he said, you just go be with your dad on Christmas Eve, you open the presents, and then you go to your in-laws, and that's exactly what they did. So some of you are probably maybe wrestling with that kind of decision already. It's like, well, what do I do for the Christmas holidays to make it that most wonderful time of the year and please everybody? But the reality is there's problems that are not going to be solved. There's people that are not going to be controlled, and there's expectations that are not going to be met. And many a time... If we were honest and we looked in the mirror, we're the problem that can't be solved. And we're the person that can't be controlled. And we have expectations of other people that are unrealistic and can never be met. And so this, which is supposed to be a most wonderful time of the year, turns into be a stressful time of the year. In fact, I was just sharing with somebody this week about their Thanksgiving. And when they unpackaged the whole story, I just felt for them. Oh, That's not a good Thanksgiving, right? But I believe it's important for us to realize that this is the most wonderful time of the year. But Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year necessarily because of what is happening around us. It's the most wonderful time of the year because of what happened when God sent his son into the world. And you may have been a believer for a long time. Or maybe you're just sort of trying to figure church out right now and where's God at in your life. I want you to know this. Every Christmas that comes around, whether you've been celebrating the real wonderful time of the year because Christ is in the center of it, or whether you're just getting acclimated to it, you can have, no matter what's happening around you, the most wonderful time of the year when you place Jesus Christ at the center of your Christmas season and the center of your life. It recalibrates everything that's going maybe haywire in all kinds of different directions. Maybe expectations are being met. Maybe they're not being met. But you can do what we just did here for a half an hour. We can worship Jesus. 
We can worship him. We can adore him. We can praise him. We can get our focus set on who he was, who he is, and what shall be in the future because of him. Christ is to be at the center of our Christmas. And we have to fight through all the expectations, all the consumerism and all the clutter and the busyness and hecticness and make sure it's the most wonderful time of the year. Because that's what God intends for us to have and to carry with us at this season is the hope that we find in him, the light that we find in him. I... um, I've been a pastor for a number of years, right? Why the gray hair, right? And it comes around in December every year, and you're like, well, how do we, how do we put a new twist on Christmas this year? Well, for some of you, it doesn't matter because you haven't been with me for 30-some years in ministry. But for me, I'm like, I just don't want to walk through Advent season. Whoever's able to, to gather for worship and who is ever able not, and just, just sort of go through the motions. Yeah, we're supposed to do that. Lord, how do you... Breathe and speak new life in to me so that I can, out of the overflow of my heart, lead you to a place of fresh life in the Christmas season. And one of the reasons that I chose to focus on this theme, light of the world, is because I've begun to see that a lot more people experience darkness in their life than we like to readily admit. We hide behind, you know, a smile, but inside there's darkness and the light maybe is going out or maybe it's gone out. Sometimes it says the world, we look around us and what's going on, you go, well, there is darkness in our world. Yesterday I posted something on Facebook, uh, the church Facebook site about the Alliance Church that's in Aleppo, Syria. And Syria is in the midst of a civil war and just the decadence of what? All the bombing and destruction. And I'm trying to think, Lord, if I was a Christian believer in the Alliance Church in Aleppo, what, Aleppo, what would I think this time of year? I would think there's darkness. There's, there's evil. There's corruption. But in the midst of it, I would be able to find that Christ is the light even when there is that kind of darkness. And so the light of the world to me is a fresh way to be able to come and say, okay, how do we take Christmas this season and see it as the most wonderful time of the year for our personal lives, then for our family, and then for our friends? Because we only get so many Christmas seasons while we're alive on this earth. And we should enjoy it and celebrate it and worship the one that it's all about. What I'd like to do for... uh, today and for uh, next Sunday and Christmas Eve as well, is to focus on a gospel that's not normally focused on for the Christmas season. If you're familiar with the Bible, the Bible uh, has four gospels. Gospel means good news, the story of Christ, and there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three are called the synoptics. They're fairly similar, but John is uh, a separate kind of gospel and written some different ways. Normally, at a Christmas season, you are going to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you're looking at the Christmas story in those synoptics, in particular Matthew and Luke. But when you come to the Gospel of John, who walked very close to Jesus, you do not find a narrative about the Christmas story that we often think of. You, you, don't, you don't find any Mary mentioned. You don't find um, Herod. You don't find uh, angels 
on a hillside. You don't find a manger. You're like, okay, John, what, what about this? Now, John, John is, um, John's one of those disciples that he, uh, he had walked with Jesus for a long time, and he was able to summarize a lot of truth succinctly, not only in his gospel, but also in a letter, and he was able to summarize God in one word. Whoever does not love does not know God, it says in 1 John 4, 8 and 9, because, how does he define God? God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So he knew about life. He knew about the entrance of Christ in the world and the beauty of it. He portrayed it. He spoke about it, whether in his gospel or in her letter. Later on in 1 John 4, 15, it says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And here he is simplifying it again. What? God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. So the Apostle John, he was deep into understanding the significance of, of Jesus' birth into this world. And so he starts his gospel off, not with all the details and the trappings that we're familiar with, the storyline. He starts his gospel off with the significance of the birth because he's stepping back, looking big picture what's going on. Now, at the time that John wrote his gospel, he was a very, very old man. It's believed that it's the last of the four Gospels that are written. And so he's sitting back and he's reflecting on life. I had a, a relative that passed away last week that was in their 90s. And I called his widow this week and, and I gave her my condolences. And um, he lives down here in San Diego. They've always been kind to our family. And as I was sharing with him about, hey, memorial services and that, and she said, well, you know, when you're 90 years old, there's not a lot of people left that you know. I think that's true. So we're just going to do something quaint and small, right? And I picture John, I don't know, 90, how old he is, and he's looking back over all of his life with Christ, and now he's going to write a gospel. Because, and I don't know if this is true, but John probably thought, I need to write some of this down. Think about John. He lived and walked and talked with Jesus. He saw all the kinds of miracles. And, and he told the stories over and over again about Jesus. You can see that in the book of Acts. He would talk about Jesus. And so he's probably thinking, well, I ought to write this down so some people remember it, so I can pass it on to the next people. So he sits down and he begins to write his gospel about the stories of Jesus, but most importantly, the significance of Jesus and what Jesus is all about. In John 20, verse 31, he said this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's an old man sitting back. I don't know where he's at. We talked in the summer, uh, this fall, when we had the series in the church's revelation that he was probably in, in Ephesus for a while, and then we know he's on the island of Patmos when he wrote uh, the revelation and things. And you're like... Wow, what's going through his mind? Well, you need to understand the context of what was happening because the Bible is just not stories here and there. The Bible is history. And the time that he probably wrote his gospel was a pretty, pretty dark time for the nation of Israel. 
And John's reflecting on all that was happening and transpiring in that time, and he still had faith. He still had faith and belief and optimism because of the entrance of Christ into the world. No matter how dark and difficult his world was, that's why he'd be able to write these words, that by believing you may have life in his name. There's many more things. I could have written volumes of stories about Jesus, but these are written that, that you may have life in his name. You see, John was alive when Nero commissioned Vespasian to be able to go into Galilee, Roman-controlled, and start suppressing what was perceived as an uprising. And many Jews, thousands of Jews, became slaughtered. And he rolled his way down, that general did, from the Galilee area towards Israel. Jews were slaughtered by the thousands. Others were taken captive and sent into the the slave market of Rome and Egypt. And then Titus, the son, was was handed the, the opportunity to take on Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is up on a hill. It's a fortified city. This is Jerusalem with the temple and, and, and all the sacrificial worship. And this is Jerusalem where, where Jesus came and he entered that temple. And, and Jesus spoke on the hillsides. This is Jerusalem, the golden city on the hill. And it was now surrounded by the Romans. And for a period of months, the people inside were cut off from food supplies. There were plagues. There was other uh, starvation issues that were happening. It was not a good scene. And you can read about the capture and the downfall of Jerusalem. And it's a horrible, horrible story. And whether John was in close proximity to Jerusalem at the time, had heard about it, or maybe was even within, we don't really know. But that was in John's memory of what was happening. Millions of Jews were slaughtered. The temple was burned. It was gutted. The sacrificial system that had been held dear to Jewish people, never, ever again would it rise after that moment in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. And yet, John writing his gospel, had optimism. He had hope. Because it didn't matter how dark the world was around him. He knew what Christ had come to do and what Christ was doing throughout the world. And the same is true for you and I this morning. No matter how dark and difficult our life is or other people's lives, Jesus is the light of the world. And so he starts his gospel off by stepping back and casting the bigger picture for the significance of Christ's birth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Christ. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That's how he starts his gospel. But you think about this. Do you remember that, that John was commissioned by Jesus on the cross when he was dying to, um, to take care of Jesus' mother, Mary? And so it's believed that John was probably with Mary, taking care of her all the way to the point of death. That's why he's believed that she was with him in Ephesus and stuff. And, you know, Jesus, looking down from the cross, said, John, behold your mother. 
You know, Mom, behold your son, John. Take care of each other. So John and Mary had a very close relationship. Think about it. John taking care of Mary, hanging out in the house, on the patio, time and time again. What do you think the conversation went to? Jesus. And don't you think John would say something like, what? Mary, what was it like to be pregnant with Jesus? Mary, what was it, what was it like to, to discover that he was the son of God? And what was it like when, you know, you, you went uh, to the angel appeared to remember that. Mary, oh, yeah, that was so. And, and, and then the, the wise men came to Magi. Wouldn't Mary have tons of stories to tell John? Well, John, why isn't it in your gospel? That's a good, legitimate question. He would probably have more intimate knowledge about the whole nativity issue and the scene than anybody. But he doesn't write the details. He starts off this way. Because he's starting off with the big picture and the significance. You know, when I think of this verse here, I heard a pastor say this recently. <laughs> he says, can you comprehend this whole mystery of Christmas? That here John was. Here's Mary. Mary's got this reality going on. Of She gave birth to Jesus, who was in the beginning, created all things. Mary, isn't this a great question? Mary, what was it like to give birth to the person who created you? We can't get our hands around this Christmas narrative. John had the opportunity to give the details, but he didn't. He stated it this way, and then he says this in First John, I mean in John 1, 4. In him was life. Life. In him was life. God is love, and Christ is life. It doesn't matter how dead you are or how dark the world is around you, what's going on in your home, around in the scenes, in your neighborhood, your school systems. You have hope because in him was life. And then he says this, and that life was the light of all mankind. Light? Darkness is the absence of light. If someone is living in darkness, if you're struggling with darkness in your life, it's because there's an absence of light. Maybe in this morning you rolled out of bed and you're a little grumpy and you're like, I should be, I should be happy. It's Christmas time, right? And he's like, well, let me recalibrate. Let me center my life on the reason for the wonderful time of the year. And it's because Jesus became the light of this world. And is this darkness gathering around me because that light is not prominent? And it was a light that wasn't given just for you and I. It was given for all mankind. And here's John, a devout you know, Jewish person, right? And they thought the Messiah was going to be a regional man. Someone who would come to help the nation of Israel, continue on with the Old Testament and, and the fulfillment of that. But, wow, God himself born here and he came to be the light and not just the light of a small group of people off you know, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, but he came to be the light for all mankind. All mankind. If you ever struggle with what the world needs, it probably doesn't need another great leader. It needs the Messiah to come 
into the hearts and the lives of people. And that's why to pray even for the Alliance workers in Aleppo uh, this week, as that, that notice came to us, it's like, yes. Lord, may you help those missionaries, those international workers there, those national pastor ministry people to shine the light of Christ in that dark place because it's for all mankind everywhere. That light shines into the darkness. Can I change the word the to you? It shines into your darkness and into mine. And if we will but place Christ at the center of our life, then his life will be able to dissipate over the course of time, whatever darkness and challenge there is. And the darkness has not overcome it. I want you to watch this video clip, and then I'm going to give an opportunity for us to pray. Because I believe that there is light. All of us struggle. Needs to come. All are broken. Many of us feel we're part of humanity's mass, constantly moving and going nowhere. We find frustration in our relationships, our systems, and even ourselves. We're lonely. We're cynical. We're scared. They felt all this too, even more so. 2,000 years ago, their everyday existence was what we would consider the third world, covered in spiritual darkness, smothered in political violence and oppression. But heaven's light shines into this. There in a cold, wet cave lay a God who put on flesh. God who, for some strange reason, was choosing to dwell among people. Into the heart of the familiar, this this baby holds the potential to restore humanity's belief in the extraordinary.